And so it was really beneficial for me to be able to go to a room that had people that are alcoholics and addicts, but clearly had the same disease as me. Or maybe a better way to say that is that I have the same disease as them. And what I learned in that room is that I have the same exact spiritual malady. I have a big God-shaped hole in my middle. And if I don't fill that with God and with spirit, then I will not really recover. Well, hello, friends of Bill W. and other friends. You have landed on Sober Speak. My name is John M. I am an alcoholic, and we are glad you are all here, especially newcomers. Newcomers, that is, both to recovery as a whole and newcomers to this podcast. Sober Speak is a podcast about recovery centered around the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous. My job here on Sober Speak is simple. My job is to provide a platform to the amazing stories of recovery all around us. Consider Sober Speak, if you will, your meeting between meetings. Please remember, we do not speak for AA or any 12-step community. We represent only ourselves. We are here to share our experience, strength, and hope with those who wish to come along for the ride Take what you want and leave the rest at the curb for the trash man to pick up. Well, hello, lords and ladies. That was the voice of Miss Billy Kay from Al-Anon that you heard at the beginning of this episode. And you're going to hear much, much more from her in just a moment. But first things first, this episode right here and now is brought to you by Charlie and Ricky. Charlie and Ricky went to our website, SoberSpeak.com, clicked on the Donate tab, and they made a contribution. Thank you so much, Charlie and Ricky, for your generous contribution. This episode is for you. We could not do this without you. So, I will be the chairperson For this meeting between meetings, and I am truly honored and privileged to be amongst all of you fine folks. You know what I generally do? I picture one or two of you actually sitting across the table from me here as I am recording because I want this to be as personal as possible. And I have done my normal thing. I have... uh, sniffed some essential oil. It's just essential oil, folks. Not to worry. I don't have to change my sobriety day. And I have uh, said my prayer. And by the way, I sniffed. Let me grab this here for a second. Hold on. There are three essential oils that were given to me lately by Miss Dawn C. She's so nice. She gave me three essential oils. One of them said a uh, conditioning blend. Uh, another one says a steadying blend. And another one says enlightening blend. So just for your sake, I went ahead and poured some enlightening blend <laughs> on my skin and inhaled it. So hopefully I will will be enlightened for you fine folks. (laughs) Oh, but maybe not. So anyway, so you ask me, what is the significance of August 30th, John? Well, I've mentioned this before, 
And most of you know it, but I'm going to say it again. We are going to have a shindig in the city of Frisco, Texas. For those of you who are able to make it, it's called Sober Speak Live. And our guest speaker is going to be Jimmy D. And just in case you haven't heard Jimmy D, he's on episodes 54 and 55. If you would like to get a, uh, a taste of what Mr. Jimmy D is like. And so now all of the information is actually on our website. My bride actually went out there and posted it. Thank you very much, Shannon. And uh, it gives basic info like uh, the address, time, date, location. Uh, it's not real fancy, but it's enough. It'll get you there. Uh, if you have any, if you have any questions about it, just go there, uh, soberspeak.com. And uh, there's a banner that comes up right when you get into the website or onto the website, I guess I, I, guess I should say. Uh, but it is at uh, 3521 Main Street in Frisco, Texas at the Grace Avenue United Methodist Church on August 30th at 7 p.m. If you do plan on being there and I have not met you before, please send me an email. I would love to know that you're coming and so that I can be on the lookout for you. My, my email is john, J-O-H-N, at soberspeak.com. And I've had this question a couple times, so I just want to make sure that everybody knows this event is free. Uh, I, I will probably pass a basket at the end of the uh, uh, event just to cover some expenses. But uh, if you have something great, put it in. If not, no worries. We just want you there in the flesh. Well, not literally in the flesh. You know, we want you wearing clothing and stuff like that, but you get the gist. But this is not a money-making scheme. My sponsor keeps me straight on that. Um, I promise you, but uh, I would love for you to be there. And anyway, and I've never mentioned this, but I've had somebody ask me here lately also, they said, do we have to pay for your secret Facebook group? And I know there are organizations out there that put their Facebook groups behind paywalls, but not so here. We're just a bunch of folks all of us trying to carry the message and to pass on what was so freely given to us. So if you want to join the Facebook group, there's no charge for it. Uh, once again, just send me your email address associated to your Facebook account to John, G-O-H-N, at Soberspeak.com. All right, so I have a piece of um, email. A piece of email? I have an email <laughs> that was uh, sent in to me here uh, this week. And I want to read this right on the beginning because every once in a while, I just get one. And they all are very meaningful to me. And I, that doesn't mean the others aren't meaningful to me if I'm not putting it at the top of the show. But this one really, for whatever reason, just tugged at my heart. And this one is from Ariel. Ariel writes in and she says, my name is Ariel. And I'm 20 years old right now. My 21st birthday is next month, and I've just started AA meetings. I'm praying so hard and working hard every day to stay sober. And I just want to say your podcast is a blessing. Double exclamation point. I don't know what I would do without this podcast. You and the people you bring on are helping me change my life. Please never stop doing what you're doing. I'm blessed to have my eyes open so young. Thank you, exclamation point, exclamation point. 
And then I wrote her and I told her that I would be reading her uh, email on the air. And she said, I'm so excited to have my email read on your show. I woke up this morning and I didn't want to go to AA. I just wanted to sleep in. But I turned on your podcast and now I am up and so excited for AA and another blessed day of sobriety. Today I am one week sober, exclamation point. Your podcast helps people everywhere stay awesome, double exclamation point. Well, Miss Ariel, I hope you stay awesome as well. And I'm so glad that we can be used as a filler, if you will, here on this podcast As I always say, I'm not out to replace meetings. I don't even want to come close to doing that. But if we can help get people to the meetings where the real recovery takes place, right? And where the the steps and the action and the doing the work takes place, I've done my job. And uh, I, I was just so excited to hear from you, Ariel. And I hope all is well out there wherever you are. Please, please keep me posted. All right, so this week, a gentleman named Bill C. By the way, some of you may know Bill C. He's from the Southern California area. Uh, he is a, a popular speaker, uh, and uh, I'll be, I will be releasing a, an episode that I recorded with him later this week, excuse me, later this month, maybe even August, actually, but um, I'm going to get it out as soon as I can, but... Uh, this is something that he sent me from, uh, from an email that he sends out on a day-to-day basis. By the way, if you're not subscribed to Bill C.'s email and you want to subscribe to his email list that he just sends out ba- daily just for free, it is Bill C., as in, Bill C. as in Charlie, at kitchentableaa.com. Dot com. That's Bill C at KitchenTableAA.com. If you want to send him an email and tell him you'd like to get on his list, tell him you heard about it on Sober Speak, um, he's more than happy to add you to his list. But this is what came out on one of his emails this week, and it just really caught my attention. By the way, I, I have a lot of those emails that I get on a consistent basis, and I can tell you that this, thus far... Uh, is my favorite one. It doesn't mean the others aren't good, but what Bill sends out uh, in the short and to the point um, uh, phrases from the big book and other places that he gets uh, uh, his quotes from, um, I think it's just, it's, it's put together in a very excellent way. But nonetheless, it's said here this week, it said, this is from page 13 of Bill's story in Alcoholics Anonymous. And he said, I was to, and this is Bill talking, Bill W., and he said, I was to test my thinking by the new God consciousness within. This is after he had had his spiritual experience. And he said, common sense would thus become uncommon sense. I was to sit quietly within doubt, asking only for direction and strength to meet my problems as he would have me. And for whatever reason, that 
particular passage just really struck me this week. It made me think about, have you guys ever, for those of you who have done water skiing before, right? When you first get out there and you start water skiing, well, that first instinct when you're coming up out of the water is to pull on that rope as hard as you can and lean forward and just kind of help them out, if you will. But what I had to learn was that I had to lean back and let the boat do the work. And that's what it's like in Alcoholics Anonymous for me. I I sometimes think I have to pull, 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 pull. And there is work to do, don't get me wrong, right? I have to do the work of discovery. I have to do the work of, I have to do an inventory. I have to do the fifth step. I have to make my amends where I need to make my amends. But most of the time, I just have to lean back and let the boat do the work. And I can tell you, sometimes for me, when it comes to making a decision, my instinct will tell me to go and gather up as much information as I can and be as prepared as possible, just in case I need to have that information. But sometimes, however, it is best for me to relax and take it easy, take it easy and just let the plans unfold as God sees it. I don't have to gather up all that information. If you listen to Jack Z from a couple uh, an episodes ago, and the name of the episode was The Grouch and the Brainstorm, he talked about when he got uh, cancer, lung cancer. And he said his immediate instinct was to go to Google and find out all the information that he could. But instead, what he did is he paused and he got on his knees and he asked for direction. And he went to see his fellow his fellows in Alcoholics Anonymous and to seek counsel from them and to seek out good doctors. And so he was able to stop and do something that wasn't com- what he would consider common sense. It would, he would be, it would be considered uncommon sense. And so Cassandra recently posted in our uh, secret Facebook, well, she actually posted it on Instagram and then I put it over in Facebook and, uh, This was a quote from Brene Brown, and it says, Daring greatly means the courage to be vulnerable. It means you show up and be seen, to ask for what you need, to talk about how you are feeling, and to have the hard conversations. Common sense told me to hold everything close to the vest and not to have the hard conversations conversations. Because in my world, if I let people in, my experience told me that people would use that information against me. I have to be mindful of who I share information with and what, and, and it, how do I put this, and in what context. But I can tell you that being vulnerable with other people like my sponsor set me free and I didn't even know I was chained I was chained up. So in essence, common sense becomes uncommon sense. All right. We had an iTunes review this week, and um, this was from somebody called KCT3251. So whoever whoever you are out there, KCT3251, thank you so much. I wonder if uh, that person is related to R2D2. Ah, that was really bad. Nonetheless... 
They say, he or she says, better than a speaker meeting is Sober Speak. Very unique podcast, great sound quality, all the benefits of a speaker meeting, but more in depth. Highly recommend to anyone. Hope this podcast will have continued success. Well, thank you, KCT3251. I really do appreciate it. If you want to let me in and if you want to write in and let me know your real name, (laughs) that would be great. All right. So if you haven't joined our secret Facebook group, please do. Once again, it is a a, a ton of like-minded friends of Bill W., Al-Anon, and other 12-step programs, and we'd love to have you in there. If you haven't followed me on Instagram, do so. I'm at at Soberspeak, all one word. And once again, if you have not shared this episode, if you haven't shared an episode or the podcast with a friend and you have been positively impacted, I sure would appreciate it if you take time to do that. Uh, It would mean the world for me. That is is how we have spread and become so large. Not because of me, uh, but because of what you folks do out there and because of all these wonderful guests like Billy Kay that I bring in. All right, so Billy Kay belongs to, well, it's not a group. She subscribes to a methodology called BBA Works. That stands for Big Book Awakenings. Uh, And it is a method for working through the steps in the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous. Uh, It's not a club or anything like that. Anyone can do it. And there there are several websites, and I'm going to put these in the episode notes. One of them is thejaywalker.com. Another one is bbaworks.com. Another one is, well, that's actually, the the third one is just bbaworks.com slash getting started, all right? So being in Al-Anon, she comes at this from a different perspective, and I love how she describes the physical addiction to adrenaline that she had, much like the alcoholic, much like I have a mental obsession that pulls me toward the alcohol, and then an allergy that cranks up once I get alcohol in my body. Billy Kay describes her addiction to adrenaline and explains how she used drama to get attention in her life. It was a fascinating conversation. I had never really thought about that before. And she also explains how alligators are like untreated Alanons. You're going to have to listen to the episode to figure that one out. All right. So enjoy Ms. Billy Kay, and we will have some listener feedback at the end of this episode. Adios. Okay, today, everybody, we are sitting here with Miss Billy Kay. And first things first, hey, so yeah, say hello to the so Hello, speak. everybody. There you go. So, Billy Kay, first, I just want to talk about your name right off the bat, because it is a, an unusual name. Well, it's a little bit of an unusual name, at least in the spelling. So, will you spell it for everybody? It's Billy, like Billy Holiday, B-I-L-L-I-E, and then K-A-I is smooshed on to the end. So, like Billy Jean King. And have you ever met any other Billy Kays in your life? No, I'm the only one I have met. Um, there are other lots of women named Billy, and some of them have middle names that start with a K or RK, um, but I'm the only one that has it all as my first name. And do you know how that name came about? Is there some sort of history there? 
Yes, there is history. Um, I like to tell millennials I'm named after Billie Jean King <laughs> because then they say who and I get to talk about her. Um, <laughs> but um, the truth is, is Billie was my godfather and Kay was my mother's best friend. And she put those names together. I just like to use my name as an opportunity for young folks to teach them a little bit about um, some of the more powerful women in our history. So Billy Kay, was, it's kind of like a, a fused name, if you yes, will. it's fused. Okay, so the reason, though, that Billy Kay is on the episode today is not because of her name, even though it's an interesting fact. The reason is because a lady uh, named Kathy Joe actually referred Billy Joe over to, excuse me, Billy Kay over to me. Uh, she gave me her tape. I listened Thanks, Kathy to Joe. Yes, thank you, Kathy Joe. And after listening to it for about five, ten minutes, I knew immediately that I wanted to have Billy Kay on the program. And so Kathy Joe actually gave me your information, got me in touch with you, and thus we are here today. The other reason that I wanted to have Billy Kay on an episode here is because that this year I promised uh, both myself and the Silver Speak listeners, that I would be bringing more uh, Al-Anon uh, folks on to the podcast this year. And that, yeah, well, thank Yeah, I just, uh, I know that I, I know I, from all the listener feedback we get, I know I have a ton of Al-Anon listeners out there. And uh, so you fit that bill. And the other piece of this is that from listening to your tape, um, I was able to figure out that you are... Um, okay, so okay, let me back up. First of all, why don't you tell people how long you've been in the Al-Anon program and where you're from? Oh, I have an app for that. <laughs> so about 24 years, going on 25, I'm almost, I think, here in a few months. And um, yeah, in a couple of months. And uh, so I've been around the rooms for a long time. And several years ago, I started practicing the 12 steps out of the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous about 12 years back. And that really revolutionized my recovery. So that's part of the reason I wanted to have you on because I heard you tech, I heard you talk about the steps mm -hmm. um, out of the book of Alcoholics Anonymous. Now, I know enough to be dangerous here. Uh, I, I my understanding is that there is a uh, within Al-Anon a kind of a different factions, sections, or whatever you will. People who have different <laughs> beliefs. Yeah. Everybody finds paths that work for them. Yes. Right. And the same thing exists in AA. Right. Uh, you know, there are different people who read the book in a different way and uh, interpret it in a different way. But I know one one of the things that uh, within Al-Anon they, they talk about, they discuss, and people kind of pick whether they like it or not, you know, not good or bad, is whether to use the steps or whether to use the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. Am I correct about that? Yeah, there's a, there's a, an interesting conversation and dialogue that sort of perpetuates through the years around using the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. And, and the argument is basically, one, it's a foundational document, not just for AA, but for all 12-step programs. But the other side of the argument is that there is Al-Anon literature and that since this is our program, we should be using our literature. And so there's, you know, that's kind of the two sides. 
All right, so let's go ahead and get into your story a little bit. Obviously, something has brought you into Al-Anon. Where did you, where did you start where you grew up and kind of some general background on Billy Kay? Okay, um, so I'm in San Diego now. I grew up in um, Southern California. I um, had an alcoholic family and grew up in that um, tumultuous upbringing of alcoholism and uh, went to a foster home when I was 15, just before my 16th birthday. And after that, joined the army. And then when I came back from the army, I moved to San Diego with my eldest sister. And um, during high school, I had been introduced to Alateen um, based on what had been going on in my household. And then when I came home from the army, it became really clear to me that I needed a, a support system. I needed a social network. And I had um, known about Al-Anon through Alateen. And then I'd also gone to a couple Al-Anon meetings when I was in Saudi Arabia, of all places. Yay, worldwide family. Um, and so I came home and just got into this space where I was really clear that I was having a problem. And I had been exposed enough to the program at that point to know that I was the problem. You know, my mom um, and I had not lived together for several years. And so if I was still having difficulty in relationships, then I was the common denominator. Uh, so I went in search of an Al-Anon meeting and I found this really wonderful group on Tuesday nights. And I just started going to that. And I probably had been going to that meeting for about two or three years before it occurred to me that there were only women in that room. And I don't, I did not realize um, that it was a women's only group. So that was kind of a funny realization one day. And it occurred to me because someone's husband had dropped her off and came in the room and gave her something and then left. And there was a bit of a ruckus about him coming in. It was before the meeting started. We were all just settling in and there was some ruckus. And I was like, what's the big deal? It's just a dude. But then that was when it raised my consciousness. And I was like, oh, wow, I'm in a women's only room. And I I didn't know that that wasn't normal if because that's what I had been exposed to. So it was kind of funny. <laughs> but also I learned that that benefited me. And when I started expanding my meetings and going to more meetings and there were men in the room, that was when it really started to, where I really started to see how um, being with women only had benefited me. Uh, it allowed me to talk about things that I probably would not have um, with gentlemen there. And so I'm grateful that I had that. And then later, as I branched out in my recovery, I'm grateful that I had um, co-ed meetings. Those were also very beneficial. There were several men that were vital to my recovery uh, later on. Um, and then after doing the work in Al-Anon and what I would call sort of the traditional way, you know, using the Al-Anon literature, getting a sponsor, doing my, the steps with my sponsor, um, going to hospitals and institutions, doing service, taking service roles and meetings, you know, really following the directions, like doing what I was supposed to do. I um, really hit this plateau. Um, my relationship with God had definitely improved. My relationships in the world had definitely improved. And I was experiencing relief. But I don't know that I was really experiencing recovery. And um, I just hit this really dark spot. And I needed something beyond what was happening for me in my world. And a friend of mine introduced me to a new kind of meeting. Uh, she was like, I've been going to this meeting with addicts and alcoholics. And I was like, what? Why would you do that? That's, 
wow, scary. Um, and she was like, no, it's amazing. I'm going to this meeting where people have actually done the work. And I was like, what do you mean? She's like, I went to a meeting where everybody shared had actually done all of their amends, all of their amends. And I was like, wait, all? And so it was this really eye-opening experience for me to hear people that there was more than like two or three or five people that had done all 12 steps and had done all of their amends. Like this was a very unusual in Al-Anon for me at this time. And so she invited me to come to this meeting and I was very uncomfortable. Uh, I went into this meeting in an Alano club and I, we were the two Al-Anons in the room, the only two out of about probably 85. And I was super scared, you know, because I grew up in a world where alcoholics and addicts were the people who were abusive. Um, and so a lot of the damage and hurt and pain in my life had come from this categories of people. And so I didn't know what to expect. And gosh, I just fell in love with that room. I, I fell in love with their recovery. I fell in love with what they were doing. I fell in love with those people. And even though I was afraid, I kept going back because they had something that I really, really wanted, needed, that I really needed in my world and in my life. And um, when the woman who was running that group said, I'm going to start a 12-step workshop, I went to her because my friend had stopped going at this point. I was still going without her. I went to the woman who was running this workshop and I said, you absolutely please have got to let me do this workshop. And I was in tears. I was like, you got to let me do this. I need this. I'm desperate. I've been in program for years and years and I still do not have what these people have. And some of the people in that room had been sober for like six months and they were saner than I was. And, um, and that of course made me mad. Um, <laughs> I was like, what, how is that possible? I've been doing all this work for so long and, and I really felt like there were people who were more conscious and more stable than me, even after all the work I had done. And, um, and she just said, yeah, okay, get some Al-Anons together and go through as your own like little group. And so I rounded up a couple of people that I could beat into willingness. And um, there, were, <laughs> there were four of us, three of us made it through the whole workshop together. And that changed my world, changed my heart, changed my mind, it changed my life. It was phenomenal. And, um, and I continued to do the 12 steps that way, which is what we call here, the big book awakenings. Uh, and really, that's a process of just going through the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous, and turning the statements into questions and asking myself, how that applies to me and my life and in my world. And, and do I believe that God can take me further in every area of my life? And uh, it really revolutionized my relationship with my higher power and, and also gained access to my higher power in a way that nothing else I ever tried did. Describe to me what you mean by workshop. Can you g give some basic tenets of the workshop? So we meet regularly every week, same time, same place. We sit down together and we review the text of the big book. It's the, as the basic text. Basically, like when you go to college and you sit down and you study the material, that's what we do. And we make notes and we um, answer questions and we ask questions and we really take a very deep academic dive into the content. And that takes about six to seven months if you're going to do it thoroughly and right. And if you put yourself into it, you will get yourself out of it if that makes sense. Oh, it does. So another thing that you said during 
uh, your your explanation there is that you are looking at people in this group who had quote done all of the work. Oh yeah. So I'm curious. Um, I don't know how to ask this question. Does that mean that in a lot of the Al-Anon groups that you were going to, people were not doing the work? Are you able to explain that a little further? They were not doing the work in such a way that was unblocking them from their resentments, from their anger, from their selves, right? From their self-pity, self-resentment, self-loathing, bondage of self. So yes, people in Al-Anon are doing work and they're doing work that is providing them with relief. Um, but my experience is most of the time they're not getting unblocked from their bondages. Understood. You talked about that group. It's called Big Book Awakening. So that's in San Diego, correct? Yes. Yes. And is it a, a talk about it a little bit? How is it set up? Is it is it a lot of meetings a day? Is it just one meeting a day? Just talk about that group a little bit. So it's not conference approved by any conference. So there's that. <laughs> and so, but you can go to Big Book Works and see the schedule of the meetings. And really, what makes this different is every all. Um, Al-Anon alcoholics and addicts are allowed to be in the same room together. And I find this to be a really powerful experience for me because what was happening is I was going to our San Diego Spring Roundup, which is a big AA conference with Al-Anon participation. And I would sit in these Al-Anon meetings and think, I don't know what in the actual F y'all are talking about, but I would go to those AA meetings and I'd be like, I am crazy like that. I like, that's the same nuts thinking and behavior that I have and I'm not a drunk. So what is happening? What is going on that these people are aware of their behavior and they're getting recovery that Al-Anon isn't? And so it was really beneficial for me to be able to go to a room that had people that are alcoholics and addicts, but clearly had the same disease as me. Or maybe a better way to say that is that I have the same disease as them. And what I learned in that room is that I have the same exact spiritual malady. I have a big God-shaped hole in my middle. And if I don't fill that, with God and with spirit, then I will not really recover. And that really bridged the gap for me. It opened my heart to compassion. It opened my um, mind to the ability to forgive. It allowed me to let go of categories of, of people that I thought were injurious because I now understand people in Al-Anon can be injurious too. Uh, especially after doing a few inventories, that got pretty clear. <laughs> so um and and so really opened my heart and opened my mind in new ways and understanding that i'm suffering from the same disease is pretty much everybody else right it was a big deal for me um because we can all die from the idea that we're separate and we can all die from the idea that we're terminally unique that we're unique from other people and that this won't work for us and certainly that would have killed me just like it has killed many other people. And while we're on the concept, like we know that an alcoholic and drug addict can go out and use and die. And so people in Al-Anon are dying too, but they're dying from cancer. They're dying from gastrointestinal diseases. They're dying from um, high blood pressure. And what those are is diseases that are symptomatic of their spiritual disease right? That's the physical manifestation of their spiritual disease. And I think there's a misconception that people in Al-Anon are not dying from their disease. And the truth is, is they're creating that disease in their body 
from their addiction to stress and chaos and they are dying from their disease. And I've been to too many funerals and memorials from people in Al-Anon that died from their disease of being chronically separate from God. That's a very good way to put that, being chronically separated from God. That's true. And, you know, just much like with alcoholics, um, when they list a uh, cause of death, so to speak, on the death certificate, Rarely will they put alcoholism, right? Right. but everybody around them knows that because of their behavior, if you will, uh, that is why they died. And much from an Al-Anon perspective, I guess you can look back and see that everybody around everybody around them can look and see, you know, that individual. Uh, they worried so much. They had so much resentment. They were blocked, right. if you will, from right. the spirit. Uh, and that is what caused them to die. They would have lived longer uh, and more happy if they had just got a different way of life. We will continue our conversation with Billy Kay in just a moment. Just a reminder, you are listening to Sober Speak. You can find us on the web at SoberSpeak.com. You can also find the donate button on our website if and only if the spirit moves you to use it. Please keep in mind this is a podcast funded by you, the listener. Much like Alcoholics Anonymous, Sober Speak is a self-supporting organization through our own contributions. We are not allied with any sect, denomination, politics, organization, or institution. We do not wish to engage in any controversy, neither endorse nor oppose any causes. All right, now back to Ms. Billy Kay. You were about to say something. Go right ahead. Yeah, I think that most of the time in Al-Anon, we don't recognize our physical addiction to adrenaline. And so what makes my work through Big Book Awakening different from what I was doing in Al-Anon is this, that I recognize a physical addiction. And while Al-Anon looks at at the first step as people, places, and things, I look at my first step as I am addicted to adrenaline. I have a problem with creating chaos. And so when I go through my work, I look at the places where I have intentionally used adrenaline to get an outcome, like an alcoholic uses tequila to get drunk. And so anger makes me feel powerful. Um, Depression makes me feel hopeless, right? So anger and depression are the same emotion, one's external and one's internal. And, And learning that about myself has really made clear to me my beliefs and how my beliefs affect my thinking, how my thinking in turn creates feelings and those feelings create behavior. And so what is happening for me is when I'm doing this work, my beliefs change. And when I change the core fundamental belief of what's happening, the rest of it follows suit. So I sit in many meetings where people go, I don't know how it works. I just know that it does. I know how it works. And I, right, because I spend time studying and practicing and and doing what I can to change my mind. And when people ask me, what's the real miracle of the program? I say, it's that I changed my mind. The fact that I could ever change my mind about anything is a beyond a blessing. It's a total miracle that I can have, take all my preconceived notions about myself and about the world and about love and about light and about God and actually think differently. And because when I think differently, everything else is different. The way I think, the, the way I believe, the way I think, the way I feel, the way I behave. I changed my mind. I love that. 
Uh, I remember coming into the program, and and I thought that the way that I saw the world, I, I remember looking at people, Billy Kay, and thinking, you know, those people may get older, but they're never going to change. If you turn up the heat under these people, I believe they will always react the exact same way. And I had that belief also about myself. And I had to learn that just because I thought it didn't make it right. Yes, it's absolutely true. And and also there is the, this thing in society where they say, well, people don't change. But I have seen people changed a lot, a lot in program and a lot in all the programs. And, and I have changed in my life a lot. So much so that people who've known me for 20 years can recognize the difference in behavior. You know, like I was at a museum with my husband about, I don't know, five or six years ago. And there was a family that was, you know, doing behaviors that in the past would have really made me crazy, you know, would have really triggered me and made me frustrated and angry. And I was unfazed by that. And I, we just went around and had a fun and did our, enjoyed our time. And later on the way home, he goes, you know, you really impressed me today. And I was like, what are you talking about? And he said, you know, that woman with the stroller and the kids, you would have went off on her you know, several years, you would have like let her later into her and let her have it. And you didn't say anything. And I was like, you know, I didn't even notice. Like, I didn't notice that my behavior changed because she was no longer bugging me. And while she had behaviors that used to bug me, my change in attitude and behavior and mindset was so different that it was no longer an agitator. And so my, my husband, who's as close to me as it gets, was able to recognize a shift frankly, I hadn't even noticed. All I knew was that I was happy, right? All I knew was I was enjoying myself and I enjoyed my time with my family and I enjoyed the museum. And I think that speaks more to the benefit of the program than anything else, that my relationships have so improved that it's natural now. There's a a part in our 10th step that says we cease fighting anything and anyone. Yes. Right? And that... um, it just talks about how we will naturally be serene without effort, right? Without trying, we will naturally be happier. That there is no more sense of constant confrontation. That's right. Another another piece that you uh, put in there that I really liked is that, and I knew you explained it a little bit, but if you can expand on this, uh, you said you intentionally used a drama to get attention. Oh, yeah. So being addicted to adrenaline, um, I believe is fundamentally part of many people's spiritual disease. Um, And I found that um, alcoholics and drug addicts after they get clean or sober, still really struggle in the daily act of living and are still really having a hard time in their relationships. And so then they get sent to Al-Anon like, oh, what you need is Al-Anon. But really what I believe is they need to do the 12 steps on adrenaline, right? Um, and, and the reason I believe that is because we continue to use our feelings as, as drugs, basically, um, to numb out or get excited or um, to feed that need of the chaos that we've been so accustomed to. And those of us who have lived in our disease or grew up in disease are very familiar and comfortable with insanity, with chaos, with drama all the time. And so we recreate that because it's what we know. Um, And if when I reflect to the first time that I started 
doing meditation and how uncomfortable I was in that peace and that silence that I didn't understand how to process it or experience it or feel it. And I called my sponsor and I was like, this is, I don't, am I bored? Am I feeling, what am I feeling? (laughs) (laughs) I couldn't figure out how to just be okay. So I think what happens to so many of us when we first come into program is we perpetually are waiting for the other shoe to drop. We're perpetually waiting for the drama to come because that's how we know how to live our life. And when it doesn't, we do things like are chronically late, overspend, pick fights and arguments with people, um, project in our mind what people think about us, and then create arguments based off of what we think other people think, which is just ridiculous. Um, (laughs) But that's the type of crazy that is really common, and we don't know how to address it. And so really my primary relationship that I have to relearn is the one with myself. And I have to let go of this idea that adrenaline and can make me something else, right? And really using adrenaline the way that, that we would uh, manipulate people, using it to get something that I want. Like, so when I get hopped up on anger, then I'm causing a fight. And what I really want is to just ask for something that I need, or I really want to just be in an argument because I know how to manage that, or I want to feel powerful, or I want to feel sexy, or I want to feel like I can get something done. Um, And so just using adrenaline in this way that's really unhealthy, because I don't know how to do it healthy. I don't know how to do it peacefully. You know, I don't know how to do it um, with God, with spirit guiding me. And um, there's this great quote on page 420, perhaps it is important for me to remember that my serenity and my expectations of others are inversely related, which means the higher my expectations of other people, the lower my serenity. And the lower my expectations of other people, the higher my serenity. And so I have to ask myself, what do I really want? Do I want to be resentful and angry and frustrated and isolated and lonely, right? Or do I want to have good relationships with people? Do I want to be serene? Do I want to be peaceful? Do I want to be happy? And learning to manage my own expectations has allowed me to feel more serene in my life. And it's allowed me to have friends, allowed me to have relationships. <laughs> it's allowed me to be okay in the world, you know, and to, and to give love and receive love. You have brought up an, an alligator analogy oh, in the past, yeah. I believe. Can yeah. you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, the alligators. So alligators are trackers. They, they, will, they will hunt you. They will track you. They will hunt you. Um, they, <laughs> and so I use the alligator analogy to talk about untreated alanons. <laughs> and I, I remind myself that people are doing the best they can with what they have. So if what you have is scaly skin and big teeth and tracker skills, that's what you're going to use. And if what you have is an inability to think clearly, and if what you have is an inability to understand expectations versus serenity, then I need to know when I'm going into the swamp and I need to be compassionate around that. Right. And so calling untreated people alligators is a personal reminder to me that that's what they have. That's what's in their toolkit. And I don't have to be an alligator too. 
right? I have tools that they don't. I have information that they don't. I have a relationship with God that they probably don't have. Um, some do, but, but um, I, it just reminds me to be clear about who I'm working with and to love them and to be okay with them. And this is, I guess this is just another way for me to manage my expectations. What I was talking about before that when I can see them as people who are in struggle, then I can be more loving. I can be more patient. I can be more kind and I can extend to them what I needed when I was that space. I love it. Alligators are like untreated Al-Anons. Huh? Right. <laughs> All right, so let's go back to your story a little bit. You know, we're kind of uh, jumping around here, which I absolutely love. You have fantastic thoughts, and uh, uh, I love how you process things and about how you're able to articulate it. Uh, I'm already thinking that, uh, you know, we may have to, uh, if you're comfortable with it, uh, come back at some other time and and specifically go through the steps. uh, Oh, that'd be uh, fun. You know, one or two at a time. Sure. But um, so... Uh, t- tell me a little bit about your, you know, go back a little bit, you know, after you got out of the army and, uh, after you got out of, uh, uh, high school there and, uh, what, so what happened between that point and when you got into Al-Anon? Oh, uh, you know, you know, I think what you're asking is what was my trigger point? Like what was my tipping point? Yeah, like the yeah, like a qualifier. What was the turning point, if you will? Yeah, so I um, g- getting out of the military at that time was particularly difficult. It still continues to be a struggle for people who are becoming veterans, but there are so many resources available now that that transition is, is much easier. Um, but getting out really felt like um, both a relief and losing a limb. Uh, I was relieved because I hated the army, but also I was suddenly alone. Um, You know, in the military, you share every waking moment with other people, whether you like them or not, it doesn't matter. Uh, You go, you shower with people, you eat with people, you sleep with people in the same room, you you dress with people, you work with people, you're constantly with other human beings, very much like wolf packs, right? You don't go out in the world alone ever. Um, So... Being suddenly separated from that is traumatic um, and scary. So that transition was hard in that way. But as I, you know, established myself, I got a bank account, got a driver's license, got a car, got a job, got an apartment, you know, went through those stations. And then I went to college, which is a lot of veterans goals. A lot of veterans, especially, you know, people coming from, um, disparate backgrounds, go into the military so that they can change their status in life. So that was my goal. I wanted to go to college. I never wanted to be in the army. What I wanted to be was in school, but I didn't have the financial backing for that. So um, we frequently refer to that as the poverty draft. Um, So I did that. I did my three years and I got out and I went to school because that was the goal. My vision was go to school, change your life. So when I was in school, I started making new friends and um, I met a, a, a boy, right? And I really liked this guy. He was sweet. He was smart. He was funny. He was cute. And we started dating and we were in this relationship. And um, I was seriously screwing that relationship up. Like uh, I was mean and ornery and I would start fights and I was insulting and condescending. And um, I was entirely 100% unaware of my behavior. Uh, 
And I didn't know what was wrong with me, but it started getting really clear that something was wrong because one day he said to me, you're the only person I've ever raised my voice to in my life. He was 26. That's a long time to go without yelling at anybody. (laughs) 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 But he was yelling at me. Um, And it started to get really clear that I could not manage that relationship. I couldn't manage myself in that relationship. And and he was a nice human, you know, and I'm like, I'm looking at him going, he's a nice guy. And why can't I do this? And that was really kind of the tipping point for me. It was really like, something is clearly wrong with me. I am obviously the problem. Um, and because, you know, like I said, I'm like, I wasn't living with my mom. I wasn't living with my family. I had a roommate and a boyfriend and I couldn't make my friendships work. Like clearly something was wrong with the way I was doing life. And, um, and that's why I went. And I didn't, I couldn't put my finger on it. You know, it wasn't like I had a personality defect in terms of like, you know, God made me. So if something's wrong with me, we know whose fault it is. Right. (laughs) You know, but I obviously was doing something wrong. Um, but I didn't know what, and you know, he didn't know what, like he didn't like the way I was treating him. Right. That was, but I was like, well, how am I treating you? Like I needed nuts and bolts. I'm a very practical human. And so I needed that, like the how-to list. And when I went to this Al-Anon meeting, there is literally a do's and don'ts list. Like, like do forgive, do be honest, do go to meetings, do learn the facts about alcoholism. I still remember it. Right. And then there's a list of don'ts. And, uh, and I, and I need that. I needed the don't control other people. I needed the don't be an asshole. Like I, <laughs> like I really needed step-by-step instructions on how to be a good human. Uh, and Al-Anon gave me that. Um, and therapy. I also went to therapy because I was like, I'm clearly not doing this human business stuff right. And uh, f- help f- me figure out how to fix this. And, um, and then later on, when I went to Big Book Awakenings and I did a really thorough inventory, I got better instructions there than I think I ha- ever had. And I, and I equate this to being like, kind of like being a martial artist that you are, you know, a white belt and then you're, you know, the next color belts and you go through those belt processes up to black. And then when you become a black belt, they say, okay, now you're ready to become a student. Now that you know the basic forms, now that you know the basic instructions of what to do and what not to do, you may now begin to learn the art. And so that's how I think about my early years of Al-Anon, learning the basic structures and forms, learning the do's and the don'ts. And when I went to BVA, that was when I began to learn. And doing my four-step inventory, the way that is outlined in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous, revolutionized my life. Because I was then able to look at my fifth step and my sixth step and my seventh and my eighth in a way that I could never before see because I could identify my own delusions. And, and the, you know, we say it's our secrets that keep us sick, but that's bullshit. It's not the secret. It's the, the delusion, right? The delusion that I'm right was keeping me sick. The delusion that you're wrong was keeping me sick. The delusion that people should follow my good example was keeping me sick. The delusion that people should want to help me was keeping me sick. And so what happened was every time someone didn't want to help me, every time I thought I was right and you were wrong, my behavior reared its ugly head. And I could not stay in relationships when I was being that kind of an ass. 
So those delusions were set, knowing them, learning them really helped set me free because then I could, like I said, change my mind. So I am curious about the piece where you talked about uh, uh, doing it the big book way. Had you done four steps in the past? Oh, yeah, absolutely. But they're like checklists or write your story or tell me what your part in that was. And early in program, when you tell somebody what your part is, it's like, well, I showed up <laughs> or I got involved when I shouldn't have. And it's this really generic, high level inability to actually see my part, to actually see the, the lies I told myself, to actually see that I didn't believe that God loved me, right? Um, I didn't believe that God loved me. I didn't believe that God stepped into my life in a daily way. I didn't believe that I was healable. I didn't believe that I had the capacity to change. Okay, so Billy Kay, this has been chock full of nuts. <laughs> I love it. Uh, I'm definitely going to have you back on if you are agreeable. Oh, yeah, I'd love to. And I think we will, now that I'm saying this at a public level, I, I absolutely have to do it, right? I guess I could go back and delete this part out, but I won't delete it out. <laughs> It'd be great to come back and, then, and do some step work. Right. And, and then you could call me and say, didn't we commit to this? No, no, I don't remember it at all. I, I, I edited it out. Oh, remember that part of our recovery is honoring our yep. commitments, John. That's right. That's right. <laughs> So uh, now that I know how to say your name correctly, I remember the first time I talked to you on the phone, you had to, uh, I, I, was, I butchered it so bad, uh, and you were very kind about it, but you uh, uh, taught me how to say your name. So now that I know how to say your name, Billy Kay, um, we'll get together again at some point in the future, but this has been this has been perfect. Now, this is exactly what I wanted. Uh, like I said, there are so many Al-Anons that listen to this, uh, and I want them to have exposure from somebody, quote, doing the work. Uh, and you are an excellent example of that. Thank so, you. all right, well, God bless you, Billy Kay. Thank you for joining us today. I thank you for allowing me to be of service and letting God flow through me. And, and um, I just hope somebody got something that they needed. Oh, I'm sure they will. All right, I always end it with uh, page six, 164 of that uh, text we were just talking about, and that is, abandon yourself to God as you understand God, admit your faults to Him and to your fellows, clear away the wreckage of your past, give freely of what you find and join us, we shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then. Once again, Miss Billy Kay, thank you so much for joining me. Oh, it was my pleasure. How about that, Billy Kay? I loved spending time with her. Do you have any comments you want me to pass on to Billy Kay or any? of the other speakers for that matter. Uh, just send me an email to John, J-O-H-N, at silverspeak.com. I always pass on the info to the guests, and I tell you that they love to hear from you and what you have to say. All right. So as we are still in the month of July, kind of winding up here, and the seven steps slash uh, character defects uh, meetings are still prominent uh, throughout the the meetings in Alcoholics Anonymous, at least. I'm assuming they are in other 12-step programs. I wanted to share with you what I heard my friend recently 
uh, Brenda J say in a meeting. She said, in regards to seven step, in, in regards to character defects, we should be required to bring a family member who can report out on how they experience us after we have shared so beautifully in a meeting about how much better we are. Ouch! Did that get you? It kind of got me. <laughs> That's something to think about, huh? Let me, let me, let me say that again, what she, what she said. She said, we should be required to bring a family member uh, who can report on how they experience us after we have shared so beautifully in a meeting about how much better we are regarding our character defects. Something to consider, folks. All right. Anyway, uh, let's go on here. All right. So my first piece of listener feedback is from, oh, I know I'm not going to get this name right. Svava. Okay. Svava S, and that makes it even worse, is from Iceland. There's way too many S's and V's in there. So it's S-V-A-V-A. So Svava, if I got your name wrong, I I so do. I, I'm so sorry, but I'm doing the best I can. I'm just a, a idiot Texan out here in the United States trying to make my way through this thing called life. And I've got a, a high school public education, uh, a public high school education is what I meant to say. See, I can't even get that right. Nonetheless, uh, Svava says, Hi, I found your podcast by browsing the podcast app in my phone, and I was hoping to find some AA or Al-Anon stuff to help. I find something uh, to help find something useful between meetings. It means a lot for me because I live in a small village, and we only have two AA meetings and we are very few, and there are few newcomers. So I love your podcast, and I want more. Big O smiley face. I have been sober since 1985 and always stick to the meetings. I always went to Al-Anon meetings for, oh, I also went to Al-Anon meetings for a while, but there aren't any in my village anymore. So I went to the capital city of... Rikavaki. Uh, let me just spell it. R e y k a j a v i k. Rekajavik. Rekajavik. Hey, how am I? Am I close, Svava? Anyway, I prefer the AA double winners. Best greetings, Svava. Well, Svava, thank you very much. I really do appreciate you writing in, and I'm so glad that someone's listening out there in Iceland. <laughs> this is fantastic. Uh, and, and, you know, and for those of us who live in major metropolitan areas like I do, I got to remember not to take it for granted that there is a meeting going on within a rock's throw of where I am just about any time of the day. Um, Svava, thank you so much for writing in. Ryan writes in, and Ryan says, I just turned 40 years old, and I am from Grand Point Farms, Michigan. I've been sober for 168 days. I discover, I discovered, not discovered, that would be much different. I discovered Sober Speak by searching for AA podcasts to listen to during my hour-long commute to work. 
I like to hear the topics and stories of others in recovery because I've realized that I must go to meetings every day, which I do. My home group is the Early Bird 7 a.m. and has been around for 40 years, but that is not AA. AA for me is how I operate in the world outside of meetings. Good point, Ryan. Your episodes help me to do just that. They teach me how others face life on life's terms. Keep up the good work. I'll be listening. Thanks, Ryan S. in Gross Point, Michigan's farm. We'll tell everybody at the early bird 7 a.m. meeting that's been around for 40 years that I said hello, Ryan, and uh, thank you for writing in. Charlie writes in, and Charlie says, My sobriety date is August 21st, 2000. I sobered up when I was 53. I am now 72. I live in Salina, Kansas and the Phoenix area during the winter months. Married to a black belt Al-Anon, <laughs> 51 years, and it will be 52 in December, if we make it, as my wife so often warns me lovingly. <laughs> We travel back and forth between Kansas and Arizona a couple times a year. It's an 18-hour trip. We travel by car, and we are always looking for something to listen to. The Joe and Charlie tapes have been our favorites. We did a search for AA-type tapes and podcasts and ran across Sober Speak. I haven't gone back past December 2018, but I absolutely love listening to Ricky R. and Gary K. In fact, I have a sponsee that I am FaceTiming with tomorrow. He lives in Phoenix, and I am in Kansas for the summer, and we will listen to Ricky R's episode steps three through 12. It will be good for both of us. Thanks for carrying the message. AA has expanded from smoke-filled meeting rooms in this to the electronic age, and it's good for us in AA. Well, thank you, Charlie. That is that I love that uh, that whole um, uh, passage that you wrote, that whole email that you wrote, and and I passed your um, comments on to both Ricky R and Gary K, and both of them were so appreciative of it. They love to hear about all these speakers. Love to hear about it when people are getting something out of what they share. And I'm so glad that you shared that with me. Mark writes in. Mark says, "I live in Franklin, Tennessee, and I have been attending AA for about." Eight months with limited success. My wife has been attending Al-Anon for two years and has been listening to your podcast. And she shared, oh, that's that's an alliteration. She shared several episodes with me over the past few weeks. Mark. So, Mark, I am glad that your wife shared those those episodes with you. Congratulations on your limited success. I don't know, you didn't say uh, uh, exactly how long you've been sober, uh, but hang in there. Uh, please keep me posted if you get a chance. Thank you, Mark. Robbie writes in, and last but not least, I wanted to share this one last because um, I really like this one. Robbie wrote in on Instagram and he said, John, I was just listening to your podcast. 
You have no idea how much God has used your podcast for me in the last few weeks. 45 days sober off meth today. Been working a program. I'm about to go to work. Uh, I'm about to go work some more on my four-step right now. I found your podcast while looking up Al-Anon podcasts, and man, has this been one of the best things for my recovery. I've been a revolving door. I would have had four months Memorial Day and started over. But Jimmy D said in the beginning of episode number 55 about going out after work on Friday and not showing up for work Monday, that rocked me. It's just what I needed to hear. It's always been the first one that gets me. God is good to us. Thank you. Well, Robbie, I passed on your comments to Mr. Jimmy D, and he was most appreciative of that. Once again, Jimmy D is going to be the one we have uh, at our Sober Speak Live event on August 30th. But all right, everybody, that's a wrap. Just in case you're getting to the end of this and you wanted the email address again for me, but didn't write it down and don't want to go back and listen again, I am at John, J-O-H-N, at Silverspeak.com. I think I'm going to make it back next week. I always say I am one week at a time. We shall, we shall see, but God bless y'all. I love you. Keep coming back. It works if you work it. Adios.